So I'm back again here on the podcast. I'm joined by Edin Junlich. I I hope I have not I've got his name correct. If I haven't, I'm going to ask him to make sure I get it correct before we finish off. Uh, 22 years old, the youngest ever to earn the UEFA A license. I cannot wait to pick this man's brain about football and about football coaching and youth development. So welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much, Darren. You know, thank you for having me on. I'm very excited. And yeah, you did pronounce my name quite right. So it's Aidan Johnlich. And you, you know, for the first time, it was really good though. So I'll applaud you for that. <laughs> well, I mean, I certainly tried to start off on the right foot. So I'll, I'll take any sort of uh, <laughs> any sort of plaudits that I get. But I want to know, Aidan, who is Aidan Johnlich? What makes you you? Tell me a bit about you and your love for football. Oof, yeah, where to start? What makes me me? Ah, first of all, Aiden, myself, is an incredibly, you know, dedicated, hardworking person. I've always been. Kind of no matter if it's football or anything, I've always been a very hard worker, very dedicated and ambitious, kind of no matter what I've done. And I think everyone, you know, who know me, friends and family, colleagues would describe me the same way. But always someone, you know, who always had a, such a love for football you know, as a kid and just love football, every aspect of it. And I've been working hard to get in a position where I can actually live off it. So a very, very, from an early age, obviously, you, you fell in love with the game. Your first, your first memories of football and your first exposure to football. Talk to me about that. My first memories about football, you know, it's with my dad. It's thank, thanks to my dad, I have to say that, though, because my dad is the one who introduced me to football, took me to my first training session, my first games, the first games I watched live. It's inevitably, you know, it's, it's all because of my dad because he started it all. You know, he's the one who started my love for the game. And he's always had that love himself, hasn't he? But for I've seen it, you know, the way, you know, he just introduced me to the game and, you know, showed me from an early age what, what football really is. You know, that football is not just about playing either. Mm-hmm. And, and that love has just grown and grown. And, you know, we spend, we spend all day now together just watching football and talking football, for instance. You know, that, that tells you how such a strong bond he and I do have. Yeah. But I love the game is unconditional. Yeah. From that, obviously, you're, you have obviously close connection then to your, to your father, to your, maybe to both parents, just maybe in terms of the footballing your father. Yeah, there was a footballing my father. Definitely, you know, that's, yeah. my, that's where my dad is. Yeah, so 100% football, that's my dad and mine domain. So that's, that's just our, our spot. You can see in our room down here, we can see all the kits we have and so yeah. on from different games. I'll show you later. Yeah, sounds good. So did you play at all when you were young or when did you decide you wanted to get into coaching? Because you started getting into coaching and doing your licenses and badges at such an early age. And I kind of want to know why, you know what I mean? At, 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 why so young did you make the transition? Uh, you know what? I play football, you know, I love playing football like any other kid. I love playing it and I, uh, you know, I play, I played at a, 
quite good enough, good level as well. I love playing football here in Norway. I went to, I think it would call it like a, uh, like a, at college, like upper secondary, kind of like a football academy, okay. which was quite good level. I love playing there, but I kind of, you know, I always knew I wanted to be a coach. I love playing football. Don't get me wrong, I really did love it. But from an early age, I kind of just realized, thanks to my dad, you know, he opened my eyes and told me that there's so many different aspects of football and how I could be working in football in different ways, how I could be connected to football, you know, in different ways. Mm-hmm. And at that age, around 14, 15, you know, after talking with my dad, you know, I realized I wanted to start coaching. Yeah. And so while I was attending the academy and playing football regularly, you know, but I used it kind of in a different way, kind of to my advantage, just kind of looking what people were doing, picking up things here and there, and kind of just using that to kind of develop myself as a coach. And I haven't looked back ever since. Well, obviously, going by your journey so far already, it's something you're incredibly passionate about. It's something you love to do. And as you mentioned earlier, you're incredibly hardworking. You know, your UEFA B license was at 15 years old. You started your UEFA B? No, I did my C license when I was 15. And I did C my license. B license when I was 18. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, start, I, started, I started really early, though. So when you started at age, though, like 14, 15, you know, you add up the years you're working by the time you're 18, though. You just, I just wanted to progress and do something different, take the next step. Yeah. Then the B license was the next step, inevitable next step. And from there, obviously, right. Okay. So you've done your UEFA C license, done your UEFA B license at such a young age. Who was on those courses with you? Was it men? Was it people who had retired from the game, people still playing the game? You know, maybe, you know, some people when they're still playing in, the, in their 30s, they start to go and like get on that coaching ladder. I want to know. What was that yeah. coaching course like? What was it like for a, for a 15-year-old and an 18-year-old to be in amongst that coaching you know, ladder and in amongst those coaching courses and licenses? You know, it's one of the, it's, you know, when you think about it now, it's kind of like a surreal thing, though. I, I have to admit that now thinking but in retrospect, you, you kind of realize like, okay, this is what happened. Uh, but for me personally, I loved, I loved it, though. I really did love it, you know, getting to get you know just being in that environment with lots of different people different coaches different players people had like a vast experience you know when they're at the early stages of the coach education yeah so you have people just you know worked on the grassroots and have people who just retired playing professionally to have people who just were very passionate about coaching yeah. and i just really enjoyed as that as a kid though just getting into that environment and kind of just picking their brains learning from all of them and kind of just uh, being just essentially being there and proving myself yeah and and i think what you want to know i wasn't intimidated at all if that's what i wasn't intimidated at all i was very confident yeah you know very humble but i was so as i am still now but i was you know eager to learn eager to just listen absorb as much as i could yeah. and take it onto the pitch and i really did you know and i have only great and fond memories from those courses at such a young age I really look back at them thinking, wow, that was so cool. Because yeah. what, consider what other people usually do at that age. Yeah, 100%. You know, when I was 15, you know, I'm playing FIFA, I'm playing football manager, and I'm in the street with my friends. You know, I, I find it incredible. You know, there's a sense of maturity there, almost that you've matured a little bit early mentally. We've decided this is my career. This is what I want to do. And you've pursued it. And what I want to know about that is, what was your first coaching engagement? You know, when you decided you wanted to go into coaching, did you start coaching in your local neighborhood for a local team, a youth team? What, what was your first ever coaching, maybe assignment, if I could use that word? 
Well, yeah, uh, fair question. It wasn't my local club. Local club. I'm from a small t- town in Norway, and started yeah. off the local club, coaching youth players here. And kind of step by step, you know, I, I really, you know, I loved it. But I kind of, when, the moment I started doing it, I was like, okay, I want, this is something I want to do. I'm going to do it seriously. I'm going to do it properly. Yeah. So, you know, those, everything just progressed naturally mm-hmm. from there on. Yeah. It's an incredible journey. I, I do find it so fascinating. You know, as someone, I'd done a couple of my badges um, and then I never really followed through with it. It was something I had an interest in. Maybe wasn't as passionate about it as probably what I thought I was. And it showed, but you ended up, you've you done your UEFA A license. What age were you when you'd done the UEFA A license? I believe you're Europe's youngest. Yeah, because I finished it when I was about 22. Yeah. And, yeah, and then, you know, it, it came out that I was the youngest in modern football times to get that coaching badge, which is something, you know, at the time you weren't aware of when they did a course. Yeah. But then it got pointed out to me and then it just kind of spread. It's, it just spread like wildfire. Yeah. And, yeah, but, you know, I, I really did, you know, at that time, doing the course was a great, terrific experience. And once again, something I felt I was ready for, yeah. just to push my knowledge and experience even further. Yeah. Would there be anyone who was, that we would maybe, like, my listeners would know, who was maybe famous, semi-famous, ex-pros that were maybe on that licensing journey with you at all? Yeah, there were there were there were there were a couple though, because doing my co- my coaching by different countries though, is that means that I met people from different countries, the different yeah. courses, and people tend to now go on and do courses abroad just to yeah. gain a bit of more experience, and that's something I did very care- planned, careful when I was younger. After I did my B license, I knew I wanted to do my A license somewhere else, yeah. just to kind of learn from a different coaching culture and kind of bring in something of my own. Yeah. So. The, I met some really terrific people on, the, on, those, on those courses. You had one of the people I remember doing my A license co- uh, course with was uh, Michael Lindman. He was the assistant coach at Fulham with Martin Joel and so on. So he was doing yeah. A license there with me as well, yeah. just, to, just to name drop one. <laughs> I feel like that's what you wanted me to do. <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, but I, you know, I, you know, the, Kind of just the same thing I said on the V license courses, you know, just meeting so many different people from different cultures, different countries at one yeah. spot, and just kind of getting to talk with them and picking their brain, and obviously translating it into practice was just amazing. And you're getting exposed to that at such a young age, yeah, you know, influences you. That's why, you know, having done my badges, you know, in Norway, having done it in the Balkans, in Bosnia, done it in, in England, and so on, I did that, you know, carefully planned doing that because I knew. I wanted to be different. I wanted to learn from different cultures, pick pick out the best things from those cultures and kind of make it my own. Yeah. And getting on those courses and, and on top of it, getting to meet people from those different countries was amazing. You know, I just, you know, it's, I, I have so great memories of it. You know, I, I can't stop smiling about it. <laughs> I, just, I just love it. I could talk about it for days. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can see you, you know, we're doing this over Zoom, we're video, and I, even as you're talking and remembering, I can see the, the glow, the smile. You're, you're, it's such a fond memory for you and a fond period of your life, and obviously a period you're, 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 you're glad to look back on, but there's obviously an excitement going forward. But I want to talk maybe a little bit about the cultural differences and maybe what you noticed when you went around different countries to coach and do diff- like different licenses in different places. I know myself as a fan, um, I've been to games in England, I've been to Premier League games, I've been to Irish League games, I've been to games in the MLS, but I never seen such a fanatical support of the game until I seen a game 
um, a Copper Libertadores semi-final in South America. And then you, you begin to see a completely different level of yeah. passion and, you know, fanatical fandom. So I'm kind of interested in your coaching journey, you know, from England and the Balkans and Norway, the cultural differences you've noticed when coaching um, in terms of the players, are they more likely to listen somewhere? Maybe England is very much about like get a big tackle in, you know, let them know you're there. Maybe there's a different style of play. I'm just curious about the different, different contexts of maybe cultures in those countries that you've coached in. Uh, yeah. Uh, and you know, that's something uh, I'm very, and it is one, you know, one thing I picked up, you know, if, if we're going to pinpoint like one thing or so, the thing that's always kind of struck me is, you know, obviously players, the way players engage and the way players listen and are susceptible to learning. That's the obvious one. That, that's, that's not you're going to notice from, from the get-go straight away. You know, yeah. when you're gathering them up and explaining the session, from the get-go, you'll notice it. Okay, you got them. Then secondly, the manner in which they, people coach and get their message across and the way they, you know, engage with the players, you know, and what kind of mechanism do they use to kind of get out of them what they want during a session and those are the things that i've seen diff different parts of and all that has formed me as a coach and people can see now when i'm coaching the way i am with players the way i engage with play the way i talk with players on the pitch and off the pitch and so on trying to explain things the way i go through my sessions is different but that's all due having traveled a lot worked in different countries done my badges in different countries and that's something i do take a lot of pride in because you can easily just say like, oh, wow, you know, that's, that's Aiden, okay? That's, that's a Aiden's been coaching there. Aiden's been, Aiden's been in that team. Yeah. You can just, because you can just see the way I do communicate with them. And that's, you know, comes from getting all those experiences from such a young age. Yeah. And speaking of communication, that's something I want to, I would like to sort of dwell on a little bit. Different players obviously react to different methods of coaching and different forms of motivation, whether it be, a player that needs the arm put around them and they're told, oh, you're really good. Come on, show me, you know, you know, you're the best, prove it. Or some other players, there was a famous Sir Alex Ferguson, the hairdryer, some other players, you know, need to put up the backside. How do you, how do you as a coach differentiate between what players need what? Is there a way or is it just by being with the players and learning over time? Uh, depends, obviously, on the, on the level you're working at and the age of the players. But I think that, First of all, you know, we're working with human beings yeah. and we need, and I think no matter what it says in any sort of a contract or whatever my job is, we might say you're here to, you know, develop this place technically and tactically, but I disagree. My first job is to develop good human beings. I'm very holistic in that sense. Yeah. And I believe, you know, that we cannot all sadly become or be good footballers. We can all become good human beings. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I'm very, very obsessed with. So as you said, as you said there, you just, you know, you just, you got to be yourself as a coach. You have to trust your own instinct. You need to observe the environment and just trust, trust yourself. And you'll see, figure out now that sometimes, as you said, sometimes you have to be a father. Sometimes you might have to be a bit more of a, you might say psychologist, therapist. Sometimes you have to be the fun uncle. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you do have to put that arm around them. And sometimes certain players, they need a buttons pushed because you know they can, you know, you need to get a reaction out of them. And, you know, by doing, by doing that, as you said, you might have to be a bit more direct, but you'll, you know, push them in the right way doing that. But that comes down to knowing your players and kind of trusting yourself and being comfortable enough. Yeah. But that, 
you know, for, we're working with human beings, first of all. And I think we get lost in all this, you know, talk about, you know, tactical tears and so on. That we actually do forgot, forget, you know, coaching as an art. You know, we're working with human beings. Yeah. And with that, have you found that your approach, perhaps with young people and, and youth teams and even first teams and players that you've worked with, how do you find your approach is received by the players? Is that something that, you know, certain coaches, they judge themselves on results. Other coaches, I always think of Mourinho when he left Inter Milan and Matarazzi's in tears outside. You know, there was a, there was a definite link between the, the players and the manager of, of how close and how together they were. As a coach, do you judge yourself maybe on results or do you judge yourself on um, reaction from players and your responsibility with players and your relationship with them? I'm just curious and, and how at the end of a, say you, you have a couple of year contract with a club and when you're finishing that contract and wanting to move on, how would you judge your time perhaps in that job or at that time? And Well, I assume we're hypothetically speaking now. So yes. I'll... I'll, I'll <laughs> I'll take it from there, though, because otherwise I would have said it depends on the age, age and the, the club and the level of the club. Is it professional or semi-professional? But hypothetical, you know, it, it really does depend, doesn't it? I think it has to be a mix. It has to be a mix of both. It has to be a mix of both. Because I think, first of all, you know, you need to be able to transmit your message, your views, and how, you know, to the players. You need to get that buy-in. And getting that buy-in depends on what, as we talked about on the previous question, you know, how do you communicate with players? How do you get yeah. the best out of them? Do you have that sort can you motivate them? Do you have the charisma, you know, that people will automatically listen to you? You know, can you win them over with your knowledge, you know, yeah. instead of by force, for instance? And if you do, you know, and if you get that, you know, develop that kind of collective spirit, and if all players go out on the pitch, you know, playing with their chest, chest high, you know, chest out, uh, you know, being creative, playing with confidence and not afraid of what the outcome will be, then in inevitably that will lead to success in terms of results in the long, in the long run. So, you know, I think those things do go hand, hand in hand, yeah. but it's all, of course, hypothetical because sometimes in order to get the buy-in, you need to get the result first as well, don't yeah. you? So it's, you know, so it, it doesn't always work in that way either. Sometimes you need, you know, player, the players won't believe or trust you until you might have gotten that result. Yeah. So it's a very difficult line, hypothetically speaking, to balance. Yeah. But it's one of those situations where you just have to trust yourself and believe in yourself, believe in the team and be very clear in what you want from them in every aspect, not just technically, tactically, but what do you expect from them as human beings? Yeah. In, ter in terms of the buy-in then, once you, once you get that buy-in from a team or once you get a couple of results that the players are then buying into that, for you personally, do you have a favorite, how would I word it, philosophy, style of play, coaching mannerism, a way you like to work or a way you would love to work? Once again, though, it comes, as I said, it comes down to the level though, you know, age groups. But if we're talking about now, let's say, senior players and first-team players, you know, in that case, my philosophy is quite simple and clear. You score more goals than the opponent. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 that's kind of straight. That's the way I look at it. You know, no, no complications in there. Straightforward. We need to score more goals than the opponent. And if we do that, eventually, you know, we will get what we want. Yeah. Uh, so talking about it, quite, quite simple. Yeah. Well, I think that, I think sometimes, in it, especially as football progresses and there's a lot more content if we put it that way of football 
in the world right now. It's a brilliant time to be a football fan because there's so much digital content right now. But there's also maybe an over-analytical stance yeah. with football. And I would love to know your opinion on that. Well, yeah. Uh, to put it, to put it we, we live in an information age, don't we? So there's yeah. a black hole of information. There's so much information out there. When, in one way, incredibly, we should be incredibly thankful and grateful for it because, you know, the way we are connected. But then there is, as you said, though, that issue of sometimes there being too much information out there and not knowing what's the good, the bad, the ugly of it. And it just ends up being a lot of information and one isn't able to put it into practice. It just ends up being, as you said, sometimes very over-analytical, overly complex when it's essentially not needed. Yeah. So don't get me wrong. I do, you know, I, I understand the importance of scouting, analysis, and um, psychology. You know, everything in terms in football, modern football. But there has to be a certain, you know, boundary of how much, you know, how much is too much. Yeah. And that's why I said what I said. Though my my philosophy is in that sense, if we're talking about hypothetically working in a first team, it is to score more goals than the opponent. Mm-hmm. That's the starting point. And you you have the players that you have. You adapt to the players that you have. And out of that, you, make, you do everything you can to get what you want. Yeah. It's a very, very interesting dynamic, you know, and, and there's like myself and a couple of my friends, and we always have these sort of football debates about some topics and things. There's a couple of questions I have later on for you that my friends submitted to me and I okay. to ask you. So I think they'll be a bit, a bit fun later on. But I want to know, coaching at your age and what you've done, you've obviously had experience in different countries, different cultures, have you ever found you've had any resistance because you were so young and coming in and coming in and, and beginning to work with players and work with, you know, youth setups and whatnot? Have you ever had any pushback on that based on your age? Well, at this point, as head of youth development at a club in Norway, in talking about what I'm now, I haven't experienced it. I've never experienced it in that sense. Uh, and I work with senior players and older players as well. I haven't experienced it. Kind of like we talked about talked about on the previous questions regarding how you communicate with people and how you get your ideas of, across and what you want from them. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's always, you know, going to be stigma surrounding <laughs> people who are young, you know, young yeah. coaches, you know. And the good thing is we get to see a lot more young coaches coming forward and being trailblazers and people are starting to realize that in order to be a good coach, you don't have to have been a good player. So that's a good thing. We're seeing more, missing more of that. But people are always going to fear the unknown on day because for some people it will sound strange of oh, this guy is playing this guy is a coach you know but you know he always wanted to be a coach yeah if you, if you know because you know you always feel what you don't understand and what is a bit different and i think that we're seeing a big that it's always going to be something stigmatized but i think it's getting better and better these days but as i said personally for myself I, from players and so on i haven't experienced it and that's due to the way i am you know as a as a person and as a coach the way i communicate with them yeah I think, I think it's brilliant, you know, not to the fact that you haven't experienced that. Uh, it was very, very interesting. I heard you on the BBC podcast last week. I thought it was very, very good. And, it, and that's one of the reasons why I reached out because I wanted to know more. And um, whenever I was like, oh, he's on the show. I can't wait to listen in. I listen in and it's a couple of minutes. I'm like, I've got to ask him more questions. Um, and I, I love hearing how your brain thinks, how you work. Uh, one of the things I want to really know is what motivates you and what drives you? Because as we talk, just to kind of fill in on that last question, is because all I have to do, though, I can only think for myself, and I just have to keep doing what I've been doing so far, yeah. working, working hard, being humble, and taking it one step at a time and being patient. And I love the process. I love I loved living in the moment at this point and not rushing. 
Yeah. And I said, what drives me? What motivates me? It's my, you know, it's my ambition, my ambition and my love for the game. It, yeah. it drives, you know, I, I, I love getting up and going to work and working football. I don't take it a second for granted. I get to do what I love every single day and make a living out of it. Yeah. I absolutely, absolutely love that. And, you know, the ambition, you know, to keep pushing myself to be the best possible coach I can be yeah. drives me every single day. But that's kind of, as I said on the BBC podcast, it's also like, I want to be the best possible human being I can be as well. I want to be, you know, uh, as mentally healthy as I, as, I want, as I can be. I want to be as physically fit as I can be as well. So, you know, it just becomes kind of like, if I might say second nature, I just want to push myself to be the best possible version of myself. Yeah. And that's kind of what, that, that's what's driving me. And I love, I love doing it every single day. I really do. I know I, I just love talking. I could talk about it for eight, for hours. <laughs> Um, I could tell, you know, the, men the mental strength is a big thing I want to maybe touch on with you. you. You started your licenses so young. You've traveled through several countries and different cultures in terms of football. Do you think that helped? Do you think having that mental toughness helped you in that journey? Yeah, definitely. Definitely, because it, it does kind of develop, you know, your sort of your mindset. You know, you develop that sort of perseverance. You develop that sort of always a drive and ambition that you're not too fancied about it you know you don't let it affect you just kind of you just look at it as part of your development as part of your journey and you're just not faced by any of it mm -hmm. and that's kind of the way i always look at this channel i just looked at it as a positive way to learn something new to develop and you know and use it in the best possible way to become an even better coach you know to become the best possible coach i can be and just any challenge i take you know i always welcome it because it's a great opportunity to just learn something. And if it's in a different country, they're better because then you have to adapt even more and you have to, yeah. and you get to learn something more. And it's kind of like, you, you need to, you know, I love doing the different things, you know, taking different challenges just to get that sort of exposure to a different environment. Yeah. And, and as you said, as you said, it's probably all linked with having started doing this at such a young age that you just kind of go, go fearless through it all. Yeah. You just have your eye on the ball. You know, very good analysis there. You know, eye on the ball. You know, you can tell that the coaching is coming out, you know, even in the interview answers. <laughs> you know, keep your eye on the ball. When that center back goes up, you know, to win that header, you got to keep your eye on the ball. But um, what a lot of my listeners are in the UK and you've had a, you've had a experience in the UK. Talk to me about your UK experience, the, the clubs you worked with, the people you met and the jobs you've done in the UK. I know you, you studied in the UK as well, am I right? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, uh, best decision of my life was 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 to move and study in the UK, doing my uh, undergraduate course at B, uh, at Southampton Solent University in football studies, then doing, doing my MSc masters at Southampton Solent University in athletic development and peak performance, kind of like the coaching sports sciences. And I have nothing but great things to say about the university and the course. And anyone who's looking for a future in game, you know, should be looking at that university. They're really terrific. And that's kind of how we all started. And I just, I love, I just loved every second of it just to learn something new, just from di different environment, moving away from where I was in Norway. Because I knew if I wanted to learn something different and be different, I had to go to that best country when it comes to football, which was yeah. in England. It, it just made perfect sense. And being there during my studies, working constantly. And the last job I had, you know, before, before COVID, I worked as an academy coach at Ipswich Town FC. Yeah. 
uh, ac- you know, uh, an experience I cherish and look back at with such great fondness. You know, given the opportunity to work at such a great club and academy, you know, is was amazing. It was really terrific, and the people I the people I met there, the people I work with, the colleagues I made, was just absolutely terrific. And uh, you know, as this and all all things, you know, sometimes do come to an end, and COVID happened, and so on. I'm working in Norway at the moment as head of youth development at a, at a club, Snaria Sports Club, but you know things are looking very good. Things are on the right path. And even in all these uncertain times, I can happily say that I'm very happy where I am and the situation I am at the moment. Yeah. And and talking again, before we move on to what you're doing now, if we go back to England, the Ipswich experience. Yeah. What is your, what was, what what was it like being at a, as in the academy and working with, with young people at Ipswich town in a professional environment? What, I'm, what I really would like to know is the filter from the first team right the way through to the grassroots level. What's sort of the expectations? Well, you know, all I can say is that incredibly well-organized and well-driven uh, youth system. You know, the clear plan, clear pathways uh, in terms of players progression from development centers to academy and looking at having a very young team, uh, young team of players making the young players making the debut for the first team while in league one you know it's such a well-organized club in that in that sense and that we clearly knew and know what to do in every session and a great guidance by great you know coaches head of phases who were just terrific who were good at filtering down what we were what they wanted us to do and what they wanted to see from players coherent uh, work in terms of analysis scouting always kind of knowing you know, what we had to do to improve, you know, you know, and head of coaching always being there for us, always giving us feedback, watching our sessions, you know, it just, you know, just some, some whole other level, you know, just another, everything you would imagine it would be, it was. And that's why, you know, I, I love it, you know, great, great memories. Yeah. It sounds like a phenomenal experience. And yeah. I want to know now your view and your approach to youth development, how important, how integral, is developing young players in the game? Well, you know what? I think it's first and foremost important to realize that all players are different. You know, they react differently and they learn differently. And I myself believe that it's especially important to consider how players learn. You know, some players learn better visually. Some only need a simple explanation, while others, you know, they actually need to physically do something in order to learn something, as, as you know. Uh, as a team, you know, we should kind of always, you know, strive, uh, you know, to be better than the opponent because that is the nature of sport. But we should not base our value at your development if we win or lose games, okay? Yeah. But it is important, you know, to kind of try and develop these independent players who play with confidence, players who are not afraid to play and try, you know, play with risk and are above all creative. And I think, you know, we talk about wins. I think that's a win in itself, if you ask me. So if every pe- player embodies this sort of mentality, the, the results or outcomes, so to speak, long-term, will come as a consequence of this mentality. Yeah. So I think this way, I believe, we develop young and hungry players yeah. who play with their chest out, you know, head sell high, players who are not afraid of challenges, players yeah. who are not afraid to play risk. And suddenly, the opponent means seems a lot smaller and less intim- intimidating 
Yeah. And this can de 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 develop a sort of like ownership, sort of self-determination, like a competence and sense of belonging within a group. And I, as a coach, I emphasize a lot on honesty, progress, effort, learning and hard work. So making yeah. mistakes is therefore a natural part of learning. Yeah. And I think that that's the way I look at youth development. It should, that, that's my aim when I, whenever I work with young, young players. So what I do say now as head of youth development with the younger kids from the six or 12 year olds I'm in charge of now, that's, that's what I want to see from you. That's yeah. what I tell the coaches. Yeah. Uh, with that, one of the questions that my friends wanted to wanted me to ask you was about the, yeah. the was maybe the the difference and the similarities between yeah. winning versus development. For example, Manchester United fans, we've we've seen the result today. They want to win now, but for me, they need a, there's a development needed at that club with that team. We're at a youth level, on a youth development level. How do you balance? Winning versus development. I know you talked about making mistakes as part of learning and progress and things like that. How does it fit hand in hand? Winning and development. I think you know. I think at those formative years, you know, there's a certain thing. You know, when you get older, it's learning. You know, it's it's about learning, learning to play, and learning that the nature of sport. You know, there is there's going to be a winner or a loser. But as I kind of said, it's about not basing your identity or value on the outcome. That's what it is though, don't do that. The nature of sport is wanting to do better than the opponent in any sport, so that's, that's, that's fair enough. But if, as I said, if we can get players who are creative, who play with, with risk, who are not afraid to take on players, play, who are not afraid to you know, take on challenges, who are not afraid to be themselves on the pitch and look for those creative solutions, those decision makers, as we, so to speak, as we talk about, then that's a win in itself. Because long term, that's what we want that development i think um especially covid covid has hit football very very badly in terms of finances especially when you look at the championship league one league two and clubs that maybe were affected with fans not being allowed to come to games that were maybe running the risk of going out of business and obviously football's so commercialized now especially when you look at the premier league for example there's a lot of spending going on and what i really want to get at is spending versus coaching for example one of the questions was submitted to me was ask about, for example, the example given was John Stones at Man City. Man City have went and spent 63 million or whatever it was on a new centre-back. They've already spent over 400 million on centre-backs. Is the problem the centre-back? Is the problem the spending? Or is the problem the coaching? But it's a yeah, big no, one. <laughs> that, 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 no, no, that's, that's, that's a good question. I think that's something... You know, that has to be heavily analyzed, isn't it? You know, very in-depth analyzed. It's definitely, you know, we can argue a mix, mix of all, isn't it? It's a yeah. mix of all. You can, say, you can say that I think the defenders that are there are good, def are good defenders already. Then you have a great coach like, like Pep. And it could be so there could be so many things. And without knowing all the information, it's very ungrateful to actually kind of say anything or assume anything. Yeah. But you know, I think... Either, we can look at it from another way. It depends on what, what club you're at. Some clubs, you know, they cannot have the luxury of, let's say, buying a lot of these players. They have to, you know, uh, trust the players that do already have. And even if that's a young player, or if that's a player they bought and which isn't proving his worth you know, or her worth, talking you know, about the women's game, then in that yeah. sense, you have to play them. You have to, you have to play them. And 
it, it does it comes back to so many different things. You could argue the first season, you know, when Jurgen Klopp took over Liverpool, for instance, he didn't make many changes, did he, for the first seven or eight months, seven, eight months before the first summer transfer window, if I'm not wrong. And they reached the Europa League final. And based on that season, you know, we, I think you know, I think he saw the flaws, he saw what the team was missing, he saw what the team what, what was good about the team. So he was very careful when it came to assessing the needs of his team. And after the Europa League, from which they lost against Sevilla, if I'm if I'm not wrong, because that he already then started thinking, okay, I know now what I need to do. But I think the key there was being that he gave the players that he had at the club an opportunity to prove themselves to yeah. fight out the remainder of the season. And you can argue that his approach since then has been the best one in the league, or probably the best one in the world. Yeah, I think that's just an example of how how good one can do it if it's if you give certain players time and when a coach is, let's say, patient when he arrives into a new environment. Yeah. It's, it's very ungrateful to give any sort of assumptions based yeah. on very little information though. But I'm, I just hope that, you know, if you get what I'm trying to get across in that exam, example, some clubs sadly do not have the luxury of, yeah. you know, buying players all the time. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Jurgen Klopp and what he's done the last number of years. It has been nothing short of phenomenal. You know, we've talked about Pep and his his own resume or CV speaks for itself with the trophies won and whatnot. You know, you yourself, you'd be given the nickname Mini Mourinho. And I want to touch about that is how did that nickname happen? And any any sort of interesting or fun story in and around that nickname? Uh, Well, how is that? I think I, that was when I was doing my B license, 18, you know, because I was obviously the youngest one on the, on the course, at the, you know, and the youngest one who's done it, you know, at the age of 18. And I would remember I was always walking around taking notes and being very analytical on all the sessions. Like, yeah. I, like I was just being myself. I didn't think about it. I, I, I still am that way. Yeah. And, and then the nickname, just people started calling me Mini Mourinho because <laughs> obviously I was just being very analytical. I was the youngest one. And people, you know, drew the parallel with Mourinho because Mourinho at that time, which was about was seven, eight years ago, he was, you know, the, kind of the, the first well-known, if I might say, at that time coach who hadn't had a prophetic playing career. Yeah. So people just drew that comparison. And he kind of just stuck there. And... I don't, I don't mind it. As I've said a few times, though, it's, you know, it's, not, a, it's not a bad thing to be called, is it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be, to be named after one of the best managers in the world is, I, in my opinion, a huge compliment. What I want to know now, is there any particular managers or coaches who inspire you and which ones and why? I think you could, you know, oh, you could, you know there's so many good coaches in the world right now. It's very difficult pinpointing certain 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 coaches, though. Uh, well, if I could, I'm a bit. If I could start off by saying, though, you know, I think my my aim as a coach is to be Aiden, is to be myself. Yeah. I, I keep saying I want to be the best possible version of me, the best possible Aiden, the best possible coach that is Aiden. Yeah. That's that is my aim, you know, and that's kind of when I develop something of my own, being myself, being you know, this is Aiden. No one can be Aiden because yeah. he's Aiden, just like no one can be Pep, no one can be Jurgen. No one can be Jose. You know, it just you have to be yourself, not a poor copy of someone else. Yeah. And that comes back to me having traveled and done courses in different countries, working in different countries, using that to kind of form my coaching personality. If you know what, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but there's so many. When it comes to specific coaching, you know, I'm a, you know, obviously I'm a great admirer of the work done by Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. He's been he's been great there. Uh, I think 
the work that Eddie Howe did at Bournemouth, you know, getting him up, you know, and sadly getting relegated last year was, you know, terrific. You can look at Ralph Hassenhutl, you know, I think he's doing some interesting stuff at Southampton at the moment. Then you can, then there are, you know, you could look at many different things. You could look at many different things, what you like about certain teams, you know, Diego Simone and the way Atletico Madrid defense. The uh, Conte, his 3-5-2 with Inter, for instance, which is, you know, looking very fascinating and very intriguing. But the different coaches that I kind of, I, I like, and you do admire them, you know, but I think with age and with experience, I realize, you know, I just want to be the, I just want to be the best possible me. Yeah. But it's natural to obviously, you know, say like, that's a great coach. You know, that's, yeah. he's done, so many, he or she has done so many good things. No, you have to look up. You have to look to, up to them, but I have to say, the past few years it's been Jurgen Klopp. I think the, yeah. the work yeah. he's done there has been extraordinary, and I'm excited about the work that's going to you know being done at the moment by Ralph Hasenhutl at yeah. Southampton. Yeah, Ralph Hasenhutl for me is a big one, um, especially after you know a lot of people thought he was going to get sacked, you know after yeah. the after the Leicester game, and it really would really sort of kickstarted their season and. Yeah. He is signed well. He seems to coach well. There's something about him, I think, that just sort of screams that the players play for him. And I think yeah. that's hugely important as a coach. At, at 100%. I think I remember the first game when he beat one of the, one of the top six teams. Like you see how much it meant to him. He was just running around the pitch and screaming with the players, celebrating, going to the fans and just making a show out of it. You could see there that, wow, this guy... This, you know, he really, really, you know, he loves the game. He lo- he's always, he loves this atmosphere. He loves the English game. He loves the club already. It's such, in his first game even, I think. Fans see that, players see that. And it just seems like something, you know, as I said, since that, that loss against Leicester, change of system, cha- you know, uh, brought in some changes. And it's looking like a very good and fresh team at the moment, you know, getting yeah. that win today as well. Yeah. I totally agree. It's a it's a team I really like. Um, one of the reasons I really, really like them, um, we'll move into what you're doing now, is I love their youth development system. Their, yeah, their youth system is phenomenal. They consistently bring players through into the first team. I think there was a summer a couple of years ago where they sold about 160 million or something like that of homegrown talent. It's an, incre- it's an incredible club in terms of their coaching and their youth setup. And I want to really talk about your job right now you're head of youth development how are you finding it what do you love about it yeah uh, so I'm, I'm head of youth development so uh, for of you know looking at mainly looking at the six to twelve year olds at the club uh, and you know looking at for me that's the most important phase of development because that's when we can really develop those good habits and make sure we get a good impact on the players from an early age mm-hmm. Developing the right, you know, not just technical, tactical habits, you know, but also that sort of mental, you know, psychological, the social skills you want the players to have when they get older. So I really do love that because, you know, I, you could really shape a player at that age. You can really shape a player at that age. And also you get to kind of be part of their first steps in football. Yeah. So, you know, you, you know when, you, when you greet a kid at his first session when he's five or six, and then you see him develop, he's about 11, 12, 13, 14, and so on. You know, there's something very special about it, but doing, I, you know, I, so I, at the moment, you know, I, I really do love working uh, with, the young, with the younger players. It's great, great experience for me. It gives me opportunity to bring out a lot of my expertise and knowledge that I picked up for the past few years. Yeah. And in such a great and organized club in Snarria, it's outside of Oslo and it just, it's just terrific to be fair. It is really terrific. 
and getting the opportunity to form and shape these players from such a young age because yeah. motor learning, motor development, you know, that, that's when it happens. Otherwise, you know, by the time you're 14, 15, you haven't developed some of those fundamental skills. Yeah. It's sadly too late. Yeah. I want to talk now about your support system. You're obviously very close to your father in terms of the football. Um, in terms of the support system you have at home, your friends, your family, even your support system at your, in your club, yeah. Do you feel like having a strong support system is important to a football coach? Yeah, definitely. It is. For, you know, for me, it is definitely because that's the, well, you know, easy for me to say because that's the only thing I know about, isn't it? Yeah. So, and and I, for me, it's been, you know, I cannot say how much I do cherish, cherish you know, the support from my family, especially my dad, you know, the, you know, and people at the club, you know, wherever I've been, I've been t- terrific towards me, supported me and recognized my desire, my ambition, my willingness to learn and willing, you know, help me, you know, just kind of take the next step after the next step and after the next step. And, you know, friends and so on always been very supportive and they just kind of, they just love it though. Cause they like, yeah, I remember playing football with this guy, you know, and now he's doing, now he's working football full time. Yeah. And now I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I get a bit teary though. I just, I had, it couldn't have been done without the support of my family, especially my dad. There's, there's no doubt, you know, because, you know, there's been a lot of blood, sweat and tears and people don't see that, you know, necessarily. They, they read and see the headlines, but they don't know all the hard work that goes behind the scenes. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a long road. It's a long road, you know, but, you know, you got to go through it step by step. Yeah. And it's obviously a journey you're enjoying. You know, you've, you've had an amazing experience so far. I want to know some of your favorite, do you have a favorite memory? Is there even one favorite memory so far on your journey? Yeah. Well, you know, hopefully there will be, be many more, uh, but regards to not, the greatest memory so far, like, I, like if you're like talking about a coaching result, something you have achieved, it was coaching my local fourth division club in Norway. And cause I was back home to finish off my MSc thesis and my local club, you know, they needed someone to coach them because I was just planning on being home and finishing my thesis because that takes a lot of time and effort. And I wanted to do that in peace, but they didn't have a coach. And if I, if I hadn't taken over at the time, they would have been automa- automatically relegated to sixth division. So they asked me if I wanted to. And I said, yeah, I'll do it. You know, I thought look at it as a fun and interesting challenge to work with senior players. And, you know, they were newly promoted to the fourth division. Play, team consisted of everything from plumber, from plumbers, carpenters, you know, just normal, regular folk, you know, in a small town. Yeah. And from where I'm from, and obviously, you know, getting people on session, sometimes you don't have, know how many you're going to have. Sometimes you have five, sometimes you have 10, sometimes you have three, you know, because people have jobs and families. Yeah. And then we had a lot of games. And, I rem- and for us that season, against all odds, everyone had written us off. Everyone, no one thought he would achieve anything. Managing to stay up in, in a, very difficult league, like an incredibly difficult league with tough opponents, given the circumstances we had in training and the number of players managed to stay up was nothing short of a miracle. And that to this day is my greatest memory because yeah. the bond we, we developed, you know, that group of players, you know, and kind of being the underdog and no one expecting anything from us, you know, a club that was supposed to almost get shut down and move down to sixth division few days before the first game <laughs> and in the and in the first game two days after two three days I took over playing 1-1 against the best team in the league for instance 
it's just one of those things that you uh, losing one nil, sorry, losing one nil just to that team, but just prove that in a short amount of time, you know what, you know that anything is possible, yeah. even if you don't have the best was a uh, best starting point, but it was such a great experience. It was such a great experience. I remember that first game so well. And it was no, it was good fun, great yeah. season. There, when I moved on uh, to a better club uh, in Norway, and and I kind of am where I am now. Yeah. So it was just it was a fun, great memory. I really loved it. Yeah. Talk me through a training session then on with that club when you walked in, and it's the miracle season to keep them up. <laughs> it's incredibly hard. You walk into training. Do you make it? fun but informative or is it sort of serious we need to get down to business how do you approach a training session uh, specifically with that with that club and with those players how did you get them to buy into your ideas yeah because no you def- definitely for the f- i remember now I remember, I remember the session before the game first game you know we had we had a lot of play we had players on that we had a session on Sunday and people weren't working so then we had a lot of players coming obviously yeah and I remember I just brought the big board outside and we were literally just drilling how to play a deep five five four one <laughs> we were drilling that you know literally just learning how to move and how to you know how we're going to defend and how we're going to counterattack, going through set pieces and so on and being an incredibly like uh, very fun but also kind of very informative and serious session because they weren't used to it yeah. They weren't used to it in that sense. And then there were also sessions where you had to be, you know, a bit more fun, you know, because, you, you know, it's the, people have jobs, they have families. Sometimes yeah. they just have come by and have a kick about as well. So it's, sometimes you might just make it a bit more uh, competitive, a bit more fun. You might work on things that you want to work on, but they won't know it because you kind of disguise it as a game. Yeah. But, you might be, but you might be trying to get something out of it still. But they go back home to their families, you know, happy, happy and thinking they had a really fun session. But, but yeah. maybe nothing hasn't been worked on, but in reality it has. So it was just finding that balance of it. And no, but such a fun and great experience. You know, it's just one of those things you, know, that you remember thinking like, yeah, that was, that was so good fun. <laughs> in terms it, was, of... it wasn't planned at all, that's the thing. So I was supposed yeah. to be home to do my thesis. Yeah. So it's a nice sort of, you know, you got to coach a bit of football, which is what you've done while doing a bit of, bit of work. So it's always nice. You know, you get to do a bit of, a bit of passion alongside the work. <laughs> yeah. And with, with what, what I also want to know about that is in, in, those, in, in that sort of level of, of coaching football, I have always been told whenever I was playing football at a very amateur level was, you train like it's a match. You take training seriously, and then you're serious in the in the match. Was is that a mentality or that you would agree with, or would that depend on the level, age group? How, how what maybe is your thinking in terms of the seriousness of, of, of training? You know, it comes it, in that sense, it comes back to the you know uh, the group of players you're working with. What type of club is it? A grassroots club? Is it a semi-professional club? Amateur club? Is it a professional club? But if we're talking about, like, let's say with serious players and players who want to become good players, you know, older players, then I believe that, you know, you, you play as you train. So if you, if, you, if, you don't, if you don't train with proper intensity, then you won't play with proper intensity, will you? So it's, then it comes down to that, but it's kind of using common sense. It doesn't mean that you're going to be running 100% every single session as it is. You know, uh, you're not going to be doing 100% every session. You're not going to yeah. be trying to accumulate too much fatigue. But I think just the, it's, it's a, as much as a, it's a physical thing, it's also a mental thing, if, if, if you get me. 
So we need to train with the right attitude, you know, the tr- right mentality, you know, the, the openness, you know, to learn, you know, always being willing to go that extra mile. And some session will be more physically demanding. Some will be more technically, some more tactically. Some will be more, you know, mentally demanding, won't they? So it just kind of comes into that, what is intensity for you? Intensity yeah. is, is effort. It's effort, isn't it? So it comes back to, okay, how do you prioritize your week then? What's, what's 100% effort on this session? Yeah. You know, that's the, way, that's the way I look at it, just hypothetically speaking now, of course. But yeah. uh, I think that's uh, quite a reasonable way to look at it. And you just have to use a bit of common sense and see the players you have and, and ability level and amount of time you have. Yeah, no, totally agree. I think for me, effort is the key. You know, when someone's giving up their time, whether it's a volunteer or whether it's a professional coach, you know, you expect effort around the board, whether it be from the participants, the coaches, regardless. But, and just to finish off, I have a couple of what I think are quite fun questions for you. Um, Just a little, a little sort of quick fire round. And first up is if you're given football manager, 2021 tomorrow and you're starting a new game what team are you picking what team am i picking if i'm starting a new game uh let's see never been that never been playing it too much what team would it be you know what i'll just pick a team from the uh probably national league or something like that you know not even national league the league below national north and south and just <laughs> take it you know build my way up and uh, so pick one of those really local teams and just work my way up yeah. i think I, I love that love love being an underdog so yeah. why why not i haven't played it i haven't played for manager much but i know what the essence of it is so yeah. i think I, i'll definitely do that if you were to ask me yeah it was it, whenever i said that i had you on the podcast and i said, told a few of my friends my friends is like my friend one of my friends said to me it's like he's living what we all do you know, we all get football manager. We all think we're the next big manager. I'm like, it's like Eden is living that. He is doing it in real life. And I just thought that was a really cool compliment. And the funny thing is, though, I remember someone sent me a, a message on Twitter or po- saying that, that someone had created me in the game. I didn't know that as well. <laughs> someone messaged me. I think that was like two years back. Like, well, guess who I have is managing my team. And I'm like, I don't know. Then it's all it was me. So someone actually went through the time and effort to make me on the game two years back. And I remember that was a bit of a surreal experience. Yeah. It, it is a really incredible game, I find, because even yeah. my last guest on the podcast, Drew Sherman, he was the international yeah. manager for the Cook Islands. And he contacted football manager creators to ask for a database of everyone they had that had Cook Island descent because he didn't know how to find a pool of players. And he was able to get their name and contact them. I just find that really, really fun and fascinating. But uh, it's a very interesting database. I've used it, but you know, I played it, played it a bit, you know. But I think it's 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 fascinating. It's really fascinating, isn't it? That's really cool. Yeah, it is. I, I find it so much fun. Next sort of question for you, Ronaldo or Messi? <laughs> Ronaldo, or Messi. you know, uh, I'll I'll pick Modric. <laughs> hey, there we go. <laughs> I play, I play Modric. <laughs> and to finish... Oh, it, two, two yeah, yeah, they are. It's, it's one of those ones. I mean, I don't care who, who you get, you don't lose. You know I mean? If you pick Ronaldo and the other person got Messi, the other person's happy and vice versa. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, last question for you. What's next for Eden John Lich? What's next for me? 
Uh, the next step, I'm going to be doing my UFIA Elite Youth License with the Scottish FA. And yeah. that's something I'm very excited about. So the, uh, I'm going to start that end of October. And okay. um, that's going to, that's kind of the next step on, on the pyramid and kind of best course when it comes to youth development, the UFA yeah. Elite Youth License and being done with the Scottish FA, as we all know, you know, is when it comes to coaching and so on, it's the most well-known and renowned uh, coaching institute or coaching FA. So that's something I'm very excited about. Uh, what next? I, I'm going to keep, you know, working hard, being dedicated as I've been so far. And I'm going to, you know, keep pushing myself every single day to be the best possible coach I can be. And taking it one step at a time. I'm really enjoying where I'm at now. I'm enjoying the process. My ambition is high as always. You know, my next step for me, when time comes, whenever that will be, is to work with, the, with all the players and look to transfer my knowledge to them. But that will come in due time. Okay, you know, you have to be patient. Have to take it one step at a time. Uh, just keep working hard and kind of just let what I do, the results and kind of my work speak for itself. And just keep, keep being the same person I've always been and just loving the game, loving the game and try to bring joy to the future generations as much as joy the game has brought to me. Yeah. You've talked about joy. You've talked about even with the youth and the younger players, you encourage them to play with risk as well. With your coaching style, do, do you enjoy, you know, seeing a player go out with no fear, playing with risk, freedom when they go on their football pitch? Is that, is that a, you know, something you enjoy to see from a coaching standpoint? Well, yes, that, that is the overall aim for me. Uh, you know, that, that's what I want to see. That's, that's, that, that's my aim, to see that knowing that a player is doing that and that you somehow managed to plant some seeds to help him or her in that direction. You know, I think there's no greater feeling than that, is it? You know, just seeing that something you tried to teach someone, you tried to, you know, teach them, they've actually put into, put into work on the pitch. And, it's, and, they, and you just look at it thinking, wow, you know, a small part of that came because I planted a seed and obviously the player was the one who maximized it, you know. Yeah. He's the one, he or she's the one who, you know, really, really understood it and took it to the next level and delivered it. And I think just knowing that you had a bit of a small, small part to play, yeah. it's, it's, it's a really nice feeling. It's one of those things that you just can't explain. It's just such a, a wonderful feeling that just kind of makes you warm. You know, it's, it's just one of the things that drew me to coaching at the beginning, just knowing that, they, that you can affect performance, people, you know, just through, through practice, you know, and how, you, how it all comes out on the pitch in the end, that you, actually that's something you've done on the pitch. That's something yeah. you've, you've planned, you know, and I think you, you, you agree with me as well. That when you see something like that happen in a game, transfer in a game, you're like, wow, this, this was really nice. It was really cool. Let's get, let's get more of that. Yeah. <laughs> and with that as well, when you see a player you've coached, or had some form in and you've, you know, you've mentioned there when you see them do something or see something and you've had a small part to play on that. When you see these players go up through the ranks and maybe are on the bench for the first team or come, come on as a sub or start a game, for you as a coach, do you have a, is there a sense of pride there? Definitely. I think as I told you earlier, I'm, I'm a coach that really focuses on the human being, I have a very holistic approach. And I develop, you know, I really do take pride in, I really always want to develop good relationships with the players that I work, that I work with. Then you, then you end up knowing, not just that player, but you get, end up knowing the whole support system, get knowing their whole history and knowing just literally just what makes them tick. 
and seeing them achieve something that you may have may have played a small part in, no matter how small part, if it's 0.1% or yeah. 20, 40, you know, just knowing that that makes, you know, that I can't explain how that feeling is. I've had it a few times and I think it's just absolutely terrific. And no, I think it's, no, it, you can't, you know, it's difficult to explain if you haven't experienced it, but it's just, it just fills your heart with such joy and happy and happiness. And you just, no, you're just thankful because then you know what you do matters, doesn't it? It, it, yeah. it matters to a certain degree. Yeah. Last question for you. Yeah, sure, mate. Any advice, any tips that you would give young people, even older people who want to volunteer, who want to get involved in the coaching ladder, who want to go professional in terms of coaching that you would like to give out? Uh, quite simple. Uh, dare to be different. Dare to be different. That's, that's my advice. You have, to, you have to do that. Dare to be different. And in, in this day and age where we live, where there's so much information, where there's so much digital data and stuff available, being able to uh, pick apart the good things from the bad things and being open to learning from everyone, being humble and just dare to be different. That's, that's my advice to come in. And you have to believe, of course. You just have to, you have to believe in yourself, your own ability. Yeah. But don't be afraid to be yourself and be different. And that's something I firmly do believe in and something I will keep following and believing in, you know, as, you know, as a coach. Yeah. Well, and I've really enjoyed this podcast and I'm delighted that I was able to get you on. I just want to wish you all the best for your next coaching license that you do at the end of October in Scotland. I know that you'll be there. You'll be taking notes. You'll be learning. You'll be applying the knowledge. And I can't wait to see where the future leads for you. I think it's big. I think it's bright. And I can't wait to see it. And I appreciate you taking one hour out of your Sunday evening after the football, of course, to come on and to chat. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, mate. And believe it or not, I'm actually watching watching Aston Villa Liverpool in the background. It's actually on in the background. <laughs> you know, but tell you how much I love football. But thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you reaching out to me. And no, it's been really ter- terrific, mate. And I, you know, I, I just can't say it was a great experience. I really loved it. And I'll make sure that we stay in touch. Okay. And let, let's hope this is one of many future podcasts. Thank you for listening to the podcast with me, your host, Darren. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the podcast. Thanks for your time. Stay safe and tune in next time.